0: This is Episode 9 with Consciousness Researcher Nelson Abreu. Welcome to the Multidimensional Evolution Podcast. I am your host, Kim McCall. If you want to find out more about life beyond the physical dimension, this is the place to be. We will be having conversations to expand your consciousness, help you reconnect with your essential self, and live life as an integrated multidimensional human being. But given the subject matters, a request. Don't believe in anything, including what is shared here. Experiment, have your own experiences, and always use discernment. The musical introduction to this episode is by Finnish fusion artist Axel Teslev and his song Reincarnation. Nelson Abreu is a Portuguese American electrical engineer, innovation expert, and consciousness researcher, author and educator based in Los Angeles. There he co-created the world's first mind spa and showroom, Numa Being. It features the Cymatics, Creativity and Relaxation Recliner, which we will discuss in our conversation. Nelson began experiencing and studying transformative phenomena like the out-of-body experience in 1998, and he has developed techniques and technologies to facilitate such states, and presented at conferences and workshops in the Americas, Europe, Asia, and Australia. He lectures at the International Academy of Consciousness, and is a member of the International Consciousness Research Laboratories Consortium. He has contributed to several books and publications, the latest of which is Ordinary People, Extraordinary Experiences. In this conversation we talk about beneficial and limiting aspects of our cultural conditioning to applied consciousness research, the benefits of a scientific mindset, the nature of consciousness as part of the cosmic ecology, how technology can be used. ...to develop greater self-awareness and much more. Along the way, we touch on a phenomena... ...documented in Nelson's latest edited book... ...where a person claims to have received a song... ...from the extra-physical John Lennon. Nelson kindly provided me with a copy of the song... ...and I include it at the end of the conversation. So if you want to hear the song... ...performed by the man who received it... ...not John Lennon, unfortunately... ...and make up your own mind... If John Lennon is still writing music on the other side, stay tuned to the very end of this rich conversation. Nelson, hey, thanks so much for coming on today.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Um, And look, there's so much for us to get into uh, because we both have a shared background in Working with consciousness through the International Academy of Consciousness, which I'll love to hear from you a bit about or tell people about a bit. But I think to start with, um, I just if you can just tell, tell us a bit about your own personal background, uh, both culturally and professionally, just so people get a bit of a sense you know, of, of who you are and where you're coming from personally uh, when it comes to consciousness.
1: Yeah, I grew up in Portugal and my parents they're from former Portuguese India. and while I was growing up, I didn't have much of um, much experiences that you'd consider extraordinary in terms of out-of-body experiences and things like that. I had a fairly uh, mundane existence as far as that world is concerned, until I was around 16. By that time, I had already moved to uh, Florida in the U.S., and I was in the middle of high school, secondary school, and uh, I ran into some friends and to some books about things like hypnosis, uh, lucid dreaming, out-of-body experience. And it wasn't long before I decided that it wasn't enough to just read about it. Uh, especially given that there was this idea that you could have your own experiences, therefore reach your own conclusions. And I, I had this Catholic upbringing, which made me very open to things like the afterlife. But at the same time, I discovered around that time that I had more of an engineer's mind, which is study the natural world and then figure out ways in which you can do something with that and improve the world and, and do interesting things with it. So it, I, I was really uh, fascinated by the idea I could have my own experiences. So I started reading about techniques that I could use, and, and I ended up having my first out-of-body experience just using things like mantras and uh, self-talk, you know, self-hypnosis, things like that but i wasn't awfully successful at having multiple experiences until i went to iec right the international academy of consciousness i did some training there and then i started having more experiences especially when i learned about energy and stuff like that you know how to control my own biofield or energy field to create certain states like states of heightened vibration or resonance so that vibrational oh. state really helped me.
0: Maybe, and,
2: maybe
1: yeah.
0: Nelson, Nelson. Sorry, there's there's so many strands that you just touched on that I just yeah. like to to pick up. So I was curious. You talked about your Catholic upbringing, you know, yeah. making you open towards the afterlife. Hmm. I I guess I've also often experienced people with that background having certain reticence to perhaps approaching things in a way that aren't exactly as prescribed by the by the church or the bible right. um so was there anything <laughs> like that that came up for you that did, w- did you feel like you were dabbling in 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 things that were somehow wrong initially or was that fairly relaxed for you
1: that's the funny thing is that other than the fairly universal fear that everyone has of death of the dark of the unknown you know I did experience that so I was you know about to have my first experience I could feel it happening and then I stopped myself you know I felt a vibration I felt like I was about to take off and I did tense up and and that was probably a result of my cultural conditioning which is to be just being human being afraid of the unknown but also trepidations about you know am i doing the right thing or you know am i dabbling to something that might be evil or am i in danger but at the same time you know i'm i'm also someone who's always been fascinated about space about physics you know science is about facing the unknown mm-hmm. uh exploration and so i guess at the end my curiosity it outweighed my my fears and so I just had an inner sense also that the world didn't make sense unless there was more. And if I have the opportunity to know that there is more, it's worth the risk somehow. And then what also helped me was reading about so many millions of people having experiences and they're just fine. So inside of me, I knew it was mostly an irrational fear, even though it was very real. So... It helped me to just kind of take a deep breath and just okay. Let's just ride with it. It's gonna be okay, even though it does. If it doesn't feel like it's gonna be okay, it will be. And of course, once I had my first experience, then I got that confirmation that yeah, there's definitely nothing to fear. But as far as belief structures, as far as belief structures, that's the funny thing. Like a lot of people are conflicted, but for me, it was just a natural thing. Like okay. Uh, this religious teaching uh was useful to me it educated me about ethics about having a social conscience like taking care looking out for the little guy and things like that that part of the the catholic kind of uh, social doctrine but at the same time i was acutely aware that the church like any other institution is made of humans and there's no way that they they are as infallible as they claim to be so even even though i was very much uh, part of the church in terms of I did all all religious rites except becoming a priest. Or <laughs> you know I did first communion. There's like a second and third type of communion that you can do. I did them all. You know Sunday school. I was in church by my own volition every Sunday. But it was more about because I enjoyed thinking about life and and that was the best that I had available to me at the time. However, as soon as I discovered I could discover things on my own. I was like, great. Uh, it's almost to me, and I don't mean offense to anyone, but to me personally, just felt like, okay, I went to elementary school. Now I can go to middle school, you know, or something like that. Mm. It's just um, like another step. And I never looked back. And my mother didn't feel the same way. <laughs> she felt, okay, I'm going into the dark side. I'm not going to have it. She's failed as a mother, you know, and uh, I'm going to be in eternal damnation. Uh, <laughs> that she she didn't see it quite the same way, you know. At one point, there was an article written about a, a work that I presented at a conference, and uh, it was published back in Goa, and uh, in in India. And my my aunt came across it, and I'm told that she cried because certainly this was journalistic evidence of my damnation oh, no. uh,
0: <laughs> but have you, know, you have so you I been able to reconcile to with your have you been able to reconcile with your mother and
1: you know this this is w- what happened with my mother you know uh, sadly she she suffered two bouts of, of cancer and the second one was was uh, her final but um i i as sad as that was and as painful as it was for her especially but also for us to see her Suffer. They, somehow there was a silver lining there, which is the fact that you know those situations make you take stock of life and, and re- re- reevaluate everything. And and then those mo- final moments where she was still able to to talk to us, I, I made a point to be with her. I went to Portugal where she was with my sister, and I wanted to make sure that I spent those moments with her while she was still o- sort of okay. Uh, and what, what happened is we were watching Dr. Oz of one of these television shows and they had a healer who claimed to be, well, who was Catholic and, and who basically worked with energy to perform healing and so on. So essentially was studying a lot of the same things that I've been studying, uh, but used the language and the the filter, right, of, of Catholicism. Mm-hmm. So rather than saying, okay, I will send energy towards you, it would say something like, I will pass the Holy Spirit through me, right? But essentially, <laughs> we're talking about using energy for the purpose of healing, of therapy. And she turned to me and said, did you get that guy's name? You know, I I really need to, to, to learn more about that. And I turned to her said, do you realize this is exactly what I've been studying and my friends, as we speak, around the world are thinking about you and sending you energy already (laughs) and then she said wow then maybe that's why i've lived so long because she was outliving her original diagnosis Mm. right in that moment i think she had a realization that maybe 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 i wasn't going to hell and maybe maybe we're just speaking a different language but really we are saying the same things and that was really amazing to
0: me that's lovely yeah, my, my grandmother was very Catholic and towards the end of her life we had a lot of good conversations about OBEs and um those you know those aspects of, of life, life continuing and it was it seemed like a, a really a special time to open up to a wider, you know, wider thinking about these topics. That's right. Yeah. And it sounds that for you, um, it was really your scientific mindset that, in a sense, pushed you further into exploring consciousness in a sort of experiential right. way more.
1: That's right. It's just the desire, the need to know more. You know, I, I could not shy away from that, even if it seemed somewhat risky. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, at the same time, it wasn't risky. Because risky
0: in which sense? In which sense did it seem risky? That that concern that you might be doing something bad or some other some other aspect. More,
1: more, more along the lines that, uh, yeah, that 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 I could have some kind of un, undesirable uh, outcome from from doing that, yeah. according to according to different people that that talk about it. But at the same time, I I could see that. It's a naturally occurring phenomenon. Millions of people have it. It happens spontaneously. As it, it, it presumably, it seemed to be happening every night to people, even if they weren't aware of it. So, how bad could it really be? You know, and and I knew that there's a history of misunderstanding, manipulation to keep people from having this type of knowledge. So somehow, my 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 rational side uh, was able to win the tug of war with my you know. Uh, fear-based amygdala, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, and and then you, that turned out to be the case. Uh, yes, not only is there nothing to be afraid of, it is, while well, well, I understand it's natural to be afraid at first, it is actually the cure to most of our fears, is to have this sort of experience. It's, it's been extremely liberating to not fear death, to uh, not not fear the dark. Not be afraid of spirits and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, the only thing I fear is to live a life that I can look back and feel like I didn't do as much as I could to help others to to uh, to learn. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't expect to live a perfect life, of course, as a fallible human. But you know, I, I would like to have more. Uh, feelings of fulfillment than than of regret, and that's yeah. the only thing. And that's so, and even and even that and even that. I know that it won't be the end of the world if I somehow miss the mark. There's mm. always more.
0: So maybe maybe you could give us a bit of a an overview, if you want, over how you have come to see life. You know how. So so you went from having an initial experience that you said was just like a taste, a teaser in a way, um, not. Not that you know fulfilling, but it sent you on a search to find more and uh, and then you went and studied with the with the IAC international Academy of consciousness so so how in doing those studies how have you come to see life you know how have you come to see the human existence
1: yeah I and mean, that's a profound question um, and what what I've come to accept is that I, I would like to continue to have more questions than answers, just because it seems like the ultimate freedom is, is the freedom to, to ask those questions. It's almost the whole point of life to me, is to to have the freedom, to have the liberty to, to question and to pursue the, those answers, even though... We know that we may not ever reach a final conclusion. It's not as important to me to have the final conclusion, if that's even a thing. But what's really important is to have the, the liberty to, to explore those questions. And and the other part is not to lose sight of the fact that we are not just brains in a vat, right? Or even mm-hmm. a consciousness in a brain in a vat. Um, but rather I've come to the the biggest uh, kind of insight that I've gotten is uh, is the fact that we are not merely individuals we are individuals but not merely that that we are part of the ecology part of the planet part of the cosmos and that everything we do has an impact on others and vice versa and And once you realize that, not just in theory, but you actually feel it. You feel that you are part of the fabric of of the universe and that it is in you, that you are simultaneously one but also part of the whole, then that really changes you because uh, from that point on, you don't see yourself as an individual in a competitive world. You see yourself as an an ecological as part of an ecology a cosmic ecology where you you are related you are related to the trees you are related to the animals to the planet to all cultures to all planets <laughs> to all dimensions mm-hmm. the afterlife you know you you're just part of all of that and and you realize the importance of having genuine relationships, to really care about people and and to try and 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 leave the world a better place wherever you go. Of course, we're not perfect and sometimes we live things worse than we found them, but on the whole, you know, to at least strive. Strive for that. And uh, so, so one, one thing I've sought out is even how do you define consciousness how do you define what we are? and the the best synthesis I've found is that we are we are beings that are constantly evolving, we are maturing and we are interconnected and to me from those insights we we, we, we get a full philosophy on, on life, on politics, on economics, on everything, on relationships. Everything can stem from those insights. The only thing I can think of that's similar, it's accounts that I've heard of astronauts who go into outer space. Now, usually these are extremely intelligent and academically qualified individuals, earth scientists, physicists, etc. So they know, they know, all the facts that can be known about the Earth and the universe, all the available best knowledge we have today. But it's different when they're up there. They feel those facts. They understand them in a visceral way. And they report feeling a sort of cognitive expansion and, and a change of identity from individuals to people who are part of, of the planet. And when they come back, they are changed forever. And I think that's why when we saw those first images of the Earth from outer space, it's not a coincidence. That was around the same time we had a huge bo- boost in the environmental movement, right? Because we got this to to realize, oh, we are already in space. We are in a planet flying through, a, through, through Ch- space. Changed and the only our thing, perspective, right? Yeah. And the only thing keeping us safe are things like the magnetic field of the earth and and the ozone layer and so on and we better take care of this earth because it doesn't look very hospitable out there in the vacuum you know of space so in a similar way when i've had one two three hundred thousand out-of-body experiences that's what it has done to me is to uh, absolutely reinforce this perspective that we we are part of the cosmos the cosmos part of us and we're part of each other and, and now what i'm left with is uh what what does that mean in in practice like how how does that translate into into life you know so how should we live our life if we're to be coherent with that insight and that's the question i ask myself every day and everything i do
0: well, it's, it's, I mean, the account that you give um, and that perspective of humanity as part of the ecology, I think is really profound and really important at this time because, you know, with the environmental crisis that we're having um, on this planet at the moment, I hear uh, often a sentiment that humans, obviously, our actions are a, a big cause, but there is a depiction of ourselves as somehow false, you know, as being as people talk nice. about humans as a cancer. Um, there's this concern that that there's something in, inherent in us that isn't is incompatible with life on this planet. When really, from your account and that's certainly my sense too, is that uh, inherently we have the capacity to be a very important part of the planetary multidimensional ecosystem. But um standard choices.
1: And you know from your, your extensive background in anthropology and, and, and studying the you know, the first peoples of this world um, that there was a time where people okay, they were not perfect, but they did live in a better harmony with the world and they had more awareness of the multiple multidimensional nature of life. Right. So so it's already shown that we are perfectly capable of of, of doing that however in order to break out of um, in, in, into into outer space into uh, you know technological wonders we we sacrificed a lot in terms of that wisdom however now hopefully we can come back around and combine the two we can be technologically advanced, but at the same time not confuse our relative mastery of science and technology uh, for a, f- a full account of, 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 of nature, you know especially our own nature and, uh, and and that misunderstanding hopefully can be little by little fixed. One thing is for sure our behavior is destructive, uh, but at the same time, we only got here because of cooperation. We could not have cities, uh, internet protocols and standards and road you know, rules and laws and governments uh, and treaties if it wasn't for cooperation, right? So we we actually have done a lot of things right. Now we are, we could say, it's not that we are a cancer, but we, we pretty much have a cancer, right? And, and the root cause of that is what's behind the behavior behind behavior you have our essential uh, our power dynamics behind power dynamics what do you have Flow, you know you have flows of information you have ultimately values you have attitudes you have uh also uh principles but what what's behind that what's underneath all of that so then that's where you find consciousness, energy, right And so what we can see is that if we are able to affect someone at that deeper level, then it will bubble up to changes in patterns of behavior, attitude, uh, values and from there you will see actual measurable outcomes you know so if we want to value, for example, nature more, then rather than ha- having, you know, these externalities that are not accounted for in our economic systems, then, of course, we have to assign more value to, the, to those things. But, you know, why, why does the GDP go up? Why does the stock price go up and down? When you look deeply into it, it's not based on some kind of physics laws, right? It's just based on uh, value propositions, you know, and assumptions. It's really coming, stemming from our own consciousness. You know, the, the value of money is completely fictional, right? It's just our perception. If you change your values, you change how much you think something is worth, you know? And so so what we need is cultural cultural change, cultural evolution. So then for me, an interesting question is how, how do we promote this cultural change so that we become more so we place more value on the right things
0: right and i mean one of the things from as you are describing your own experience as you were connecting with the depths of your own consciousness and you were connecting with the interconnectedness that you experience and that intrinsically gives you a sense of value you know you start valuing yourself more you start valuing your connection with life around you more some but, um,
1: philosophers have called that the overview effect. Hmm. Know, that's what I would like to promote more. But that's not something you can teach someone. Well, exactly. something they have to experience. So how do we facilitate that experience? Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, maybe we can talk a bit about that because I know as part of your work with the IAC and maybe in other areas, that is something that you have been working with. So can you do you want to talk a bit about... How you try and facilitate experience for people?
2: Yeah,
1: you know, I've I've done that through a few approaches. One, like you mentioned, over the last twenty years, has been through lectures and uh, you know, educational uh, opportunities, uh, especially with IAC. You know, they they do um, provide kind of a foundational training where people can learn not just theory, but most importantly techniques where they can have uh, these experiences. And then, as a result, reach their own conclusions, have their own transformation. Uh, and that's very important work, and I, I still support it. I, I teach uh, at IAC to this day. Uh, on the other hand, what I've come to realize, and it's something that resonates with me, is the fact that while we continue that work, uh, and organizations like AC IAC do this uh, important work, there, there's also, you know, work that they do on, in terms of, of research, right? So there's, um, you know, really interesting research. If you if you Google TEDx and then Wagner Allegretti, you'll see some work that he's doing with detecting bioenergy using uh, functional MRI technology. Fascinating. I, I also interned with the PEAR laboratory, the Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research Lab, which now is defunct, now it's called International Consciousness Research Laboratories. They did studies uh, looking at the in, at the ability of, of, of being or the mind or consciousness to affect the physical world, to affect machines, for example, uh, in, a, in a measurable, statistically replicable way. So, you know, that's going on too, and I, that's some way in which I've tried to contribute. So education and research. But what I found is, in both of those things, even I used to think in the beginning that it was just a matter of educating people and showing them the evidence and then cultural transformation would occur. Uh, You know, as well as I do that, that's not true. (laughs) So that is, that is enough for maybe 2% of the population, you know? Uh, But really most people are one, either not that interested or two, just outright, don't want to go there, don't want to go near these subjects. And so also,
0: then how, um, sorry, there's there's a gap between the information and to create cultural change, you really need to create behavioral change, right? Or people, people to have create to create their own behavioral right. change. And that right. is and often, and, think, and behind the behavior,
1: league. you know, you have the values, but how do you change the values? You need visceral experience. How do you get the visceral experience? The person doesn't want to get educated or trained. <laughs> so, it yeah. seems like a catch-22. Well, that's where this third approach, right, that, that I've been working on uh, comes in. So I, I've been working with uh, my wife, uh, Minori Sumanasinghe. She's um, an architect and uh, has background marketing as well. She, she's uh, originally from Sri Lanka. But, you know, we are here in Los Angeles together. And what, we, what we've noticed is that, you know, in our spheres design and architecture or engineering, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a master's in innovation, so I'm dealing with people uh, in, in these fields, business, design, technology, you know, what are they interested in? Well, a few of them might be interested if, in just taking, for example, an IEC class, but most of them would find that kind of approach uh, a little too much like taking the red pill and or jumping into... You know, like Alice into the into, into the rabbit hole, and mm-hmm. not quite ready for that, uh, or it might be off-putting, you know, or just weird, <laughs> uh, or scary. So, but what they are interested in, uh, things that most people are interested in, for example, um, being happier and healthier, right? Having more well-being. Who isn't? Uh, they're interested in having less stress, less pain less depression, uh, less anxiety. They're interested in being creative problem solvers because of professionals that they are. But most people in the world would be interested in solving problems creatively, even if it's in their personal life. Uh, You know, essentially having insight. And, um, And to just overall perform better at whatever is important for them. And what's interesting here is that I've spent so much time trying to persuade people that the out of body experience is more than just in your head; that it's real, that it's that you know. I started losing sight of the obvious, which is the out of body experience is is an experience, <laughs> you know, first and foremost, and you, that's not really something you can argue with. And research shows it's largely either. Neutral or actually a positive experience. People, like as we've said, tend to have behavioral change as a result of having these experiences. They become more altruistic, more ecological, more uh, self-aware. That's fantastic. So suppose for a second that we don't care so much to persuade people right off the bat about the nature of the experience. Let's just think about the effects of the experience, right? Positive behavioral change. And then it does all those things that I just mentioned that people are interested in. Improve well-being, improve creativity. Some of the best, most influential ideas have come to people in their between awake and asleep period, in dreams, in out-of-body experiences, in intuitions, amazing works of art, uh, you know, civilization-changing inventions, like the AC motor, you know. So uh, mathematical formulas and solutions so there is undeniably a whole range of benefits that these things can bring even to people who are not necessarily looking for the answers about the afterlife so with that insight that people if you approach people with in a more pragmatic sense that look this uh, the, the, the these are resources mental resources that we have you can draw these wonderful benefits from them Then people might actually pay attention. And then, once they are used to doing these experiences and they don't have a stigma of being weird or anything like that, they're just mundane, normal things that we do, like jogging or yoga, which used to be considered, you know, kind of uh, very specific culturally and religiously. Now it's just, you know, fancy kinesthetics. Um, Then, guess what? You, you people might criticize. Oh, that yoga that people do is not the yoga that people were doing originally. Absolutely true. But if you go to a yoga conference and you ask how many of you have had out of body experience, you will be surprised how many people raise their hand. Which means, even though people don't go to yoga necessarily for spiritual insight, many of them end up getting it anyways. And I think this is this is the strategy that we we are having is provide real. Meet people where they are. What are people looking for, and where is the overlap? You know, in that Venn diagram, you know, <laughs> where where is the overlap between what the society generally is looking for, what we could offer, and meet them there. Meet them in the middle. That's the opening point.
0: And where are and you creating as... this space, Nelson? How are you creating the space to meet people where they are? You know, where you're meeting the people that are interested in in the inspiration in the the relaxation benefits, all those things.
1: So one one way in which things just organically developed is my, my wife being architect designer, myself being an engineer. Uh, we were working on projects that seemed disparate at the time, you know. So Minori was working on a, a pet pod for our uh, ginormous cat <laughs> uh, <laughs> because there was no no pod that was you know, big enough uh, for, for our dear little Kitu. But at the same time, she wasn't just going to make any old thing. She was going to make a beautiful pod, you know. Uh, over time, she kind of lost interest in, in, in the, in the pot idea for Pat because she thought the market was already getting saturated with other designs. So she had this insight, let's make pods for, for people. You know, like like nap pods sort of thing. So great. She started doing that. And then she realized that I had been working on uh, a technology that uses vibroacoustics, right? So that's where you convert sound into mechanical vibration. Mm-hmm. So I was working with a, with a friend of mine, that uh, Thomas Anderson, that I met through ICRL. And he was working with sound and vibration already for therapeutic purposes. And what, what I brought to the table was, let's use the same technique, but let's use it to mimic uh, techniques that I used to create the vibrational state. And, uh, and that's what we did. We, we, we figured out how to use sound and vibration to, to kind of guide your attention to perform this technique. So in other words, instead of me teaching a class and say, imagine energy at the top of your head, or try to feel energy at the top of your head and then use your willpower, your attention, your intention to drive that energy through your body even if you don't feel it. You don't have to visualize it necessarily, but just go with it. That's really hard to do for most people. Is you ask them to move something they cannot feel with, and they cannot use their muscles, they have to use their will. Mm. It, it's, it's actually very simple, but also extremely difficult at the same time for most people. Now compare that with Lie down on this beautiful recliner and just allow your mind to follow uh, the vibrations as they move throughout your body. And the vibrations move from your head, through the body, down to the feet, then back up to the legs, back up to your head. Mimicking the techniques that we learned and we teach at IAC, for example, where the energy is now moving in an oscillatory way back and forth. Yeah. Slowly and then faster, faster until it reaches some kind of resonant peak. And I was able within twenty minutes to get people with no training to have a partial out of body experience. Not every time, but more often than I expected. So just and briefly just mind. briefly,
0: um sorry, just briefly break that down a bit more, Nelson. The so so the recliner is rigged up um with a, is, there, is there a sound as well, or there's just a, a sensation that is a vibratory sensation that travels a, along the length of the recliner from your head to your feet and back up? Is that, is that how it works?
1: That's right. The, the fun foundational uh, technology is, is a mechanical wave that's moving from your head to your feet. And now, little by little, we've been adding more features like you can listen to different types of music, music therapy uh binaural beats or um you can listen to basically uh music that was curated by different artists for that experience but those are things that have been added since the fun the basic technology was you know we got a we got a massage bed and we basically rigged it up right so yeah. just to see if it worked if it was feasible and and we took it to a couple of conferences and and we also just had like a pilot study with people from off the street who, who don't have any background in this. They just found it to be surprisingly effective at getting people deeply relaxed, which in and of itself is a huge benefit. Uh, getting to that body asleep, mind awake state, which is prime time for OBE, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and then to feel energy throughout their body. Occasionally, people would. Uh, feel like they reach some kind of vibratory state. So that was really, really uh, surprising. But then what Minori has done is take that effective but rather unsightly contraption and made it into this beautiful piece of furniture, right? Uh, we also have uh, an electromagnetic uh, option that people can use that mimics some research that's been done on uh, healing uh, bones with particular frequencies and so on but you know those have bells and whistles that we, we keep adding there's more and more technologies we can layer on top of that but yeah the key the key technology we're calling the cymatics is this traveling wave that moves through your body yeah. um, and and it's really um, like a way to teach people to do the technique without a single word where they follow the sensation throughout their body rather than instructions on what
0: to do yeah yeah it sounds like a great idea and is yeah the, it's
1: is a the vibration
0: beautiful simplicity to it but it absolutely works. absolutely it doesn't you know it transcends language barriers or, or people don't have to be able to hear anything um exactly, you just feel exactly. right um, but is is the vibration based on uh, a sound because you you talked about somatics, and you talked about the translating sound to vibration so is there actually right. an underlying frequency that you use and what is that if there is one?
1: right uh, so we, we experimented with different uh, like uh, let's say uh, seeds right the starting points and we we try to use uh, harmonics of, um, of, of of different fundamental frequencies and uh, you know a lot, a, lot, a lot of people are interested in uh for example the the, the tu- tuning tuning frequencies right if they should be based on uh, uh four thirty hertz versus uh four thirty six right four forty two hertz and so on so we we've uh we've followed uh four thirty two hertz as a as a guideline uh because a lot of people find that meaningful that uh, some people find that the 440 hertz that's used to, to tune most musical instruments, that is actually fundamentally disharmonious and does not benefit uh, you know, well-being for most mm-hmm. people. So we figured, okay, let's give that a try. And it turns out that at least uh, people, when they experience it, they, they've responded well to it. Uh, I'm not uh, 100% sure about the science behind that because there's not a lot of evidence behind it. But it's, it was more at an intuitive level and based on people's input that they, they wanted the, the music to be kind of tuned to a, a, har- a harmonic uh, of 432. Um, four, four but then essentially, yeah, it's, it's a, you, you, you have this sinusoidal wave that's there at, at the seed. And then it's just kind of, sort of like panning back and forth, right? Yeah. Over a number, a number of transducers. So then the key is just figuring out like, how to coordinate all these different transducers that convert sound to vibration to, to provide a seamless experience. Uh, so Thomas and I had an initial design. It worked pretty well. And, and then Minori and I came up with a way to improve on it. You know, And uh, it's a, a patented uh, system. And we use it as the, as the foundation for this, uh, technology for this innovation, we're calling the cymatics. Mm. And that, and and then that's just the, the beginning point. Other than that, the next point will be sometime next year after we get a lot of people to, to try the technology and to have people try it. We, we invested in a space here in Chinatown of Los Angeles. Nori uh, made it very warm and welcoming and uh, converted a gallery into into this space that we're calling the world's first mind spa so a mind spa is this I guess new type of retail category where the you can go in and it's a it's a mind spa and showroom because you you go in and you're able to try different technologies that are meant to help you with your attention, your well-being, right, relaxation, etc. And it's a little bit like um, a, mixture, a hybrid between a cafe, an art gallery, and a bit of like an arcade in the sense that you have different, different technologies, right? So like a gym where you might bench press, then work on your legs, right? Here, yeah. instead of working on your body, you work on different aspects of your mind. So besides the cymatics, for example... We have uh, the opportunity for people to try some virtual reality si- uh, simulations um, that help induce some of these altered states. You also have uh, the Muse headband, which is like an, uh, a a commercial grade EEG that measures your brain waves and guides you through um, meditation practice. So people are able to try different things, become uh, more familiar with these experiences in a very practical way. And the reason most people are going to come, uh, they're coming basically for getting new ideas. You know, L.A., Los Angeles prides itself in being the arts capital of the U.S. You know, California is all about innovation and uh the arts world you know the, the uh hollywood right it's a very creative town everyone is either inventing something writing a script <laughs> you know so the idea is that a lot of, sometimes you hit that creative block and what if you could go into a space and get into an altered state without having to drop any kind of substance right yeah. Um, and naturally get to that lateral thinking, outside the box thinking, or quite literally outside the body thinking, right? Yeah. And we're so, so rather than pitching this, even though it was conceived as an out of body experience machine, if you will, uh, that's not at all how we're marketing it. It's more, okay, the mind spa, including the cymatics, it's about uh, getting you to states that are. More mindful, more creative to help your performance. So, if you're a company, for example, you could have this device in in your company, or you could have a subscription for your employees to go to a mind spa. And there, the reason you have that is not so they have OBEs. Like, if you're a company, most companies care less, right? But it's more because uh, they can have more creative ideas, they can be more innovative. They can re- release some of their stress. Uh, they can have pain relief, and so on. So way to reach. We, we say that the mind spa is a way to recharge, to reconnect, and to reimagine. Hmm. And oh, it and sounds so like, that's like it'll sem- be
0: a real hub of inspiration. You know, I, I get that feeling when you're talking that people dropping in and um, leaving with new inspiration for whatever their creative endeavor might be.
1: And it's a community of people who, who want that. They want more well-being. They want new ideas. And generally speaking, they want to apply that to make the world a better place. And, and, and so these are the kind of people you would want to surround yourself anyways. But they may or may not know about out-of-body experiences, this and that. However, through exposure, through the community activities, the classes, through the technology, they will eventually probably have some of these experiences, at least many of them will. And some of them will just look at it as it's an outfit state and it was really interesting, it was entertaining. you know. Uh, other people will see it as a, as a tremendously insightful uh, creative space. Some people will have the overview effect and will be changed for the rest of their life. <laughs> so uh, we're open to all of it. Yeah, uh, but by by making it by putting less pressure on it, almost like by by not making it about the the outcome so much, uh, and, and by not forcing the OBE to be a thing about the afterlife, because it doesn't have to be. It's just it is actually a naturally occurring office exactly. state that it everyone a, can have.
0: An important part of our life right now, right? It's an important part of right. living living a full human life.
1: Exactly. Now, what you make of it? You know, we give the people the freedom to decide what they want, but it, we're not so radical as to say, well, if you're not going to use this for uh, learning out about the afterlife, then none of the other benefits matter. Because in the U.S., for example, we're, we're facing an opioid crisis. And, you know, if, if people just use the OBE to reduce their dependence on opioids, uh, that alone is worth it. We could save m- millions of lives. And that is not trivial. You know, uh, and and what do we need in the world? More money? I mean, there's so much money in this world, so many resources, so much technology. But it seems what's missing sometimes is political will or insight, some something that's within us, and it's just waiting to come out. And if this type of technology can help people uh, to actually. Do something in the in the world, right? It, it it might actually be the thing that takes away their apathy, and that triggers their uh, their empathy. Then that's worth it. Also, however they choose to use it, you know, it's going to be for the for the best. Yeah. So that, that's our angle.
0: Yeah. No. Look, I mean, I think it's a really uh, great to see technology because we often see technology. Almost as if it's in conflict with our human nature, and to see technology, you know, the angle you're taking of enha- using it to enhance our, our nature, our depth as, as consciousness, our depth as beings. I think that's and of a really course beautiful the, fusion. Uh,
1: thank you. And I, and I think that, you know, the hardware is still somewhat limiting because you either have to have one in your company or a nearby spa or, or shopping center or something because most people are not going to have this in their home, uh, but to make up for that and also to augment the hardware, we we have already developed an app. It's just we, we have to get funding uh, for, for next year to actually release it, but we've developed an app, the NUMA app, that can work on its own or it can work in conjunction with the Cymatics. And... It will be a way for people to choose. For example, I would like to use techniques in order to become more alert, or actually, I'm looking to relax, or I'm using, I'm, I'm trying to find a, get a new idea. I want to be more creative and insightful. So you can choose what you're looking for, and then based on your choice, you will be given different resources, different mindfulness techniques, out of body experience, energy techniques, music therapy, etc. And you will be able to run that, and there'll be five minutes, twenty minutes, things that you can kind of go do on the go, right?
0: So they can and fit into your life.
1: It can fit into your life, yeah. And that, there is one more thing, which is actually in this space called transformative technologies. You know, uh, Numascape Studio is and Numa Being are pioneers in this particular field, which is. Ah, uh, people have realized, you know, all these different benefits. You know, it can help you have more well-being, increase your performance, help you thrive. But there's a, something very specific which it comes comes into focus in my line of work, uh, being a, an engineer that primarily has worked in the field, in facilities. Um, we call, you know, in, in operations, not just like in an office with with drawings. Um, it's safety. And if you look at industrial safety, you know, there's thousands of injuries in, in 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 every country, millions of injuries in the world every year due to lapses of attention, distraction, mm-hmm. rushing, fatigue, right? And it's not training because a lot of people getting injured have been doing their job very well, flawlessly for maybe 20 years. And then they have that one day their mind's not in the game, and then tragedy happens. And I found a very interesting overlap here between mindfulness and safety. And, and we are exploring that. We, are, we have a whole line of products that were coming out that help people become more aware uh, when, when, in fact, they might be getting distracted. And, and that whole process is supported by framing mindfulness as a safety measure yeah so this is another way in which we can influence corporate culture by basically having meditation and even things like lucid dreaming out-of-body experience energy training uh just as resources that people can use to reduce injury and and worse uh, just by by improving mindfulness. If a lot of accidents happen because of mindlessness, the mindfulness is one of the answers. Mm. And, um, and this, I, I've actually successfully spoken to management in, in, in different types of companies, in government, private, they're very receptive. And it's just about, it's interesting. I would never imagine that I would walk into a company and like teach them energy techniques uh, and, 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 and have them be extremely receptive. But it's all about the, the framing. you know. Okay, I'm going to teach you how to block your chakras. It's not really going to sell. But uh, I'm going to show you a technique uh, that might reduce injuries and might reduce sick days. And by the way, Aetna released a study that it could save you $2,000 a day, uh, a year per person. And now I've got their attention, right? So uh, it seems like we've just had a very big marketing problem (laughs) so maybe maybe we can we can reframe things meet people where they're at where are they they're at work they are in their home you know they are trying to just solve basic daily problems before they can think about the nature of the universe uh however it can help them solve those quote-unquote mundane problems which are actually not so mundane for them um then in the process, they might have amazing insight and get to where we were hoping they would get, anyways.
0: Yeah, no, it sounds like a really practical angle. And I think you know, once you get into the occupational health and safety space, then that's really at the core that you know everybody in the corporate world has to has to be exposed to in one way or another. You know, the,
1: the these were the last, you know rallying words from dr robert john from princeton he was the former dean of the college of engineering he was the founder of the pair laboratory and uh, i had the fortune to to have conversations with him and towards the end of his life he, he told us that look we we studied uh these phenomena in the laboratory we obtained really objective data that uh, was done over a course of three decades if people don't accept that they never will and and so doing more of this type of research is important but it's not going to change everything you know so we we've already determined that the evidence is important but not enough teaching people uh, having having things that we can teach people is extremely important but not enough we actually he's he's suggestion was we need people like you to show people that these things are actually useful in the way that they define useful yeah. right obviously to you and i learning about the meaning of life there's nothing more useful than that but for someone in their particular moment what's really useful is can i have the next big idea can this thing help me reduce my pain and discomfort uh, and my stress Okay, that's useful. And if you can answer if you can show value, then people will use it. When people use something, then eventually they it becomes normalized and they might even be curious to learn more. Mm. And, and, and and then it won't be long before people are learning about energy and obs in schools, at work. It's just another thing that we do. And and more and more people will discover that yes it does have all these everyday benefits but maybe there's a little more to it than that
0: yeah now look i really i think it's that's really great and i'm really happy that you get to share that um that perspective that really practical perspective here um i i will say just briefly because i just we're sort of running close on time and I would like to talk a little bit more about or a little bit about your book, um, Ordinary People, Extraordinary Experiences. So just before we switch to that, I just want to say there will be some links to the Cymatics um, work that you're doing um, that come with the podcast uh, so people can have a look at that. Uh, You said that uh, Minori created this, made a very beautiful Uh, uh, bed as it were or or lounge chair and i can certainly attest to that from the photos you've shown me it really is a beautiful piece of furniture that um i feel will find its way into people's homes who can afford it no doubt just because it looks attractive plus it's got some (laughs) amazing features thanks Uh, thanks but uh, I would like to, just at the end, um, talk a bit about this book, Ordinary People, Extraordinary Experiences, which I think is a great title that in itself conveys a message, right?
1: Right. So Dr. Turban, Rise and I, uh, we were at the time volunteering at AAC Miami, and we we're asking a question similar to what you asked me moments ago, which was, you know, how do we get this information out there, the awareness out there? and one of the answers that we came up with was to show that everyday people uh, who have jobs like CFO and sh- shopping, cent- shopping uh, li- like like a, a grocery store checkout clerk, you know, so people who are from Latin America, from Europe, and people who are in their eighties and people who are eleven years old. The people across the demographics that they have these extraordinary transformative experiences and that you don't have to be some kind of, you know, one-off gifted person to have them. And we figured, okay, we know from history that knowledge has been handed down typically through storytelling, not through textbooks. Right. And all our ancestors, they relied on that. and, And that's why, storytelling is so effective to this day for cultural change right? Sometimes a movie fictional as it might be conveys very important ideas and culturally impactful and so we thought okay let's collect stories of people we know and trust let's interview them, let's have them write it down in their own words and and, and let's collect a uh, let's make a collection, an anthology of various types of extraordinary experiences, psi phenomena, and, and let's put it out there. And And actually, to, to make the point that, it's, that this is not about self-promotion or anything, they're all anonymous. So we know uh-huh. exactly who these people are, but none of them have their name.
0: I was wondering uh, about that, why people were made anonymous.
1: Right. So it was basically to put the focus on, on the experience and the fact that they're, it could just be anyone. And that's the point. Uh, it's not important, actually, who they are. What's important is, okay, we, the editors, we know who they are and, and we find them to be credible, right? So that's, that's the only thing about the book. So And we wanted it to have a, a variety. So there's experiences that uh, relate to telepathy, clairvoyance, energy sensations, and then out of body experiences as well. Uh, there's even an experience of telekinesis, uh, mediumship, and so on. And that's the first part of the book. So, so that people can read everyday people's experiences and be inspired by that, and you know, raise their curiosity on the subject. Before each phenomenon, there's a brief description about, you know, what they are, different ways in which we might model that or explain that phenomena a little bit of an introduction in lay words and and at the end we have a bit more of a scholarly kind of bookend where we talk about uh, different theories about our body experience torben has an interest in the relationship between physics and consciousness so he has a couple chapters about that Uh, so basically i had written chapters in in other books so there's a collection of those chapters that I had written in at the end of the book. Um, and, and they talk about basically science and consciousness, uh, different, different kind of theories and hypotheses. So the beginning is very practical, pragmatic, and uh, experiential, anecdotal. At the end, there's more of a scholarly treatment, if you will, but yeah. still written in a way that uh, you don't have to have a PhD, right, to understand it. Yeah.
0: Um, I was curious, to, um, you know. I noticed there wasn't any experiences of retrocognition, um, I think, in the book. Is that, did that just That's kind right. of happen because it wasn't recorded yeah. in that, in exactly. that research it just period?
1: Happened, exactly, it, it just happened that way because there there were none reported in, in that period that we were collecting. We would have liked to, to include some uh, there were maybe just some, some some retrocognitive aspects in some of the accounts, like one of the OBEs. During during having the OBE, he he felt like he um, he had done it before. It felt like he was uh, replaying the experience, but it wasn't a retrocognition per se in the classical classical sense. Yeah, we would have liked to include some, but. Of all the different experiences we had, there just weren't that many. Uh, there were, there weren't any really rich uh, yeah. uh, cognitions per se. Yeah.
0: And I was wondering if you could just briefly. There was two experiences that I found especially intriguing and, and quite moving. Uh, one of them as well. And I, it'd be nice if you could just maybe um, finish off by just outlining those. So so the first sure. one. The first one is the the musician who ends up receiving a song from a very famous, um, right. Artist. Maybe you could talk a bit about that.
1: Yeah. You know, I, this one was, um, an interview by, by Torben. He's more, more familiar. Right. But it, it's basically, uh, a, a transmission, uh, via, via mediumship of, um, of, uh, of a song. So it, it's, it's a type of, uh, automatic writing, but instead of being some kind of uh, proclamation about the nature of things um, in, in prose, right? It came in, in, in the form of, uh, of a song. And in fact, if people would like to, to hear the song, um, be, there's an actual composition of it. Uh, and um, Torben will be happy to, to share the song. Um, so, yeah uh it's it's a fascinating idea that someone like John Lennon, right, could yeah. pass away, but still contribute culturally, still write songs uh, or and, and, and by the same token, you could think about a scientist or a writer, you know they're not gone and, and dead forever, and we, the, the possibility even that we might be able to reach them and then see how they see the world now that they have moved on uh it's it's a fascinating possibility right?
0: absolutely and especially with the song it really resonates with my work in aboriginal australia because it's a fundamental part of aboriginal culture that a lot of songs are uh in this case usually brought back from obe's so people leave the body at night and then in the morning they come back with new songs that they've learned really in That's the physical dimension
1: fascinating i didn't know that you know i'm the only musical type things with music that I've realized is, you know, I have heard of people, they go outside the body, they hear this kind of like angelic music that just moves them. And I've also just, I've, ha- I've actually experienced hearing like classical music, uh, specific uh, mm. songs, and I've come back and tried to find what they are. And that's actually, I created a little workshop where People lie down. They try to get in the period between awake and asleep, and then they they while they listen to some of the, this music, that with, with the idea that they might be able to connect with with you know the, these other dimensions and maybe trigger something. Uh, but that's fascinating. The idea that you'd go out and then return with a song, an inspired song. That's yeah. really fascinating.
0: Well, it, it, it goes with the, the uh, um, sort of system where the authority lies with the ancestors and you can connect with right. the ancestors through the, through the out-of-body state.
1: That's right. Yeah. Fantastic.
0: Um, so the other experience, I, I don't know if it was you who recorded it or Torben, but it's the, the story of, um, I think it's a woman, I'm not sure, sharing her father's death. Um, oh, yes. The father yes. being a very skeptical man. Right, right. So
1: this is, uh, this one, I, I collected this one. And, uh, you know, this is a, a CFO of a, you know, medical device company, someone very much of the, the their objective, let's say, but someone who has had many experiences at the same time and was completely, you know, open to these ideas and very much involved in, in the study and education Of uh, consciousness however her father uh, was very skeptical however they they had an agreement that you know if if there was life after death whoever went first would try to give some kind of signal right and and for some time she probably even forgot about that however there was a moment in which while she is feeling his presence and thinking about him and thinking about that moment a cup, a, a, a glass cup, on a wooden table. There's, you know, there's nothing connected to this cup. There's no, no earthquake going on. This is in Florida, you know, the least, uh, least uh, tectonically active place on Earth. And this cup just goes into a wild motion. So it's not even mechan- mechan- metallic, where you might think some kind of magnetic field could it be affected there's really beyond any explanation uh, like how this cup is moving and nothing else is moving. And in that moment, rather than being filled with fear, she knows, she just knew that that was, that was the signal that, that, uh, her father realized that, yeah, she was right. That there is life <laughs> up to death. And here, here, here's, uh, here's my sign. And, um, yeah, it, it it was not even for someone that has had lots of obese, that was really something else, you know, to see this huge movement of a cup on a table out of the blue with no physical explanation for how that could happen.
0: Well, they're pretty rare, those kinds of experiences, aren't they?
1: They are, yeah. Yeah. But they happen.
0: Um, yeah. And I thought it was just so beautiful, you know, that he, uh, it was good to know also that, um, he was able to be open enough that once he moved across uh, to the extra physical dimension, he, you know, stuck, he gained his lucidity enough to come back and tell his daughter that he was still around.
1: Right, fascinating.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Nelson, we are out of time now, but uh, thank you so much for having that chat. Uh, I really appreciate, I'm I'm really excited about um, seeing what happens with your um, technology consciousness, sort of combination, and also mainstreaming in a way, uh, all these ideas, you know, I think it's a really exciting direction. And I think uh, you know, you and Minori seem to be a great team combining your engineering and her aesthetics. So um, yeah, it'll be great to see that that NUMA Spa. Actually, just quickly, the word Numa, the name Numa. I just wanted to clarify yeah what that's about
1: so, so we were looking for a name that could speak to what we're doing and after a lot of search, we, we did come up across a term from stoic philosophy and that word was pneuma with a p in front of it as in pneumatic pneumonia right so this refers to breath spirit mm-hmm. soul so s- m- so, Numa is basically the creative spirit, is the soul, right. and we see Numescape as a sort of playground, uh, a, a playscape for the creative spirit. So, Numescape—that's what it means.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. All yeah. right, beautiful. Thank you, Nelson.
1: Thank you so much. It has been a pleasure talking to you, and looking forward to
0: next time. As I flagged in the introduction. After concluding our conversation, Nelson sent me a copy of the song that one of his research participants received and believes it was communicated to him by John Lennon. It is here performed by the man, Jerry Marshall, who received it with a friend on piano.
2: See what you think. Can you imagine what it's like To float among the clouds Above the maddening miracles You are You all are miracles in process Learning day by day The wonders of God's great and one The wonders of God's great and wondrous ways Can you conceive of all that matters And know it matters not Your every waking moment's but a dream And if you can imagine that then just imagine this. All that matters is all a fleeting thing. The wonders of God's great and one
0: hope you got some value out of today's episode. If you did, why not leave a positive review on iTunes and share it on social media to help others find it. The tune seeing us out is another one from Axel Teslev. This one is called Akasha. You can find more information about today's guest on my website, multidimensionalevolution.com including any links to their work and their contact details. On my website, you'll also find my blog and information and reviews about my book, Multidimensional Evolution, which you can purchase in any good bookstore if you want to show your love for this show and get practical info for your own exploration of consciousness. Finally, please get in touch, whether it is to ask questions, share experiences, or suggest guests and topics. I always love hearing from people, as I believe it is through sharing with each other that we can all grow together. Until then, or until you tune in again, I am sending you my very best energies.